No sooner had the plane landed on the tarmac at Ben Gurion International Airport in Tel Aviv did the passengers descend the steps. Some wept tears of joy, others lay prostrate on the blacktop, kissing it as if it were a long-lost loved one. Such a sight wasn't all that uncommon, as many Jews from throughout the world had made Aliyah to Israel throughout the country's history, some of whom had also shed happy tears upon arriving in what they felt was their ancestral homeland. But this situation was a bit different, for not only were these Jews escaping a war-torn country, but they were also, as they later described it, quote, coming home, unquote, after centuries, even millennia, of being detached from the motherland. More interesting still was that these Jews were black Africans, having hailed from Ethiopia, a country that had always claimed ties to the legendary King Solomon, the Queen of Sheba, and the Holy Land in general. And yet their tradition dictated that they had, in fact, a right to return to Israel, having been descended from the country's earliest forebears. What are the origins of the Beta Israel community, as they've come to be called? How long had they been in Ethiopia, and what were the circumstances that led to their being famously airlifted to Israel? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. It was William Shakespeare, in the guise of one of his most famous characters, Juliet Capulet, who famously posited, what's in a name? Let's answer his query, then, by taking a look at the name of this most incredible Jewish community. The name Beta Israel comes from the Ge'ez, that is, the ancient Semitic language of Ethiopia, meaning House of Israel. Members of the community refer to themselves as Esra'elawi, which literally translates to Israelites. From now on, I'll be using both Beta Israel and Esra'elawi interchangeably, when referring to the community and its people, respectively. The earliest attestation of said monikers is said to date back to the 4th century AD, at which time the community refused to convert to Christianity under the rule of the formerly pagan, but now Christian king Ezana, of the ancient Ethiopian kingdom of Aksum. The ensuing war that broke out between the kingdom's Christian and Jewish subjects ultimately led to the creation of an Ethiopian Jewish state, known as the Kingdom of Simeon, based around the northern city of Gondar, with its first ruler, Phineas, having been descended from a Jewish high priest from Israel. From there they set about expanding their territory, often clashing with Aksum for land and power. These conflicts reached their apex in the 9th century, however, when a full-blown war between Aksum's imperial forces and those of Simeon broke out. In the scuffle, King Gideon IV of Simeon was killed, at which time the kingdom was inherited by his daughter and successor, Judith. Her first order of business as monarch was to seek revenge for the death of her father. Forging a pact with the Aga tribes of the Ethiopian highlands, she led them and the Beta Israel in a siege on the imperial Ethiopian capital of Aksum, ultimately wrenching control of it from them. In addition, Queen Judith ordered the slaughter of all the emperor's heirs, so that no claimants to the throne would try to usurp her rule. Thus Simeon flourished, according to Ethiopian historic records, for some four centuries between 858 and 1270. While the golden age of the kingdom of Gondar may be greatly attested in the annals of Ethiopia's history, the exact origins of the Beta Israel community are hotly debated to this day. Contemporary scholars believe that the community's formation is quite recent, the 14th to 16th centuries, and was the result of historical and societal pressures which were being enforced on the Ethiopian people, specifically those of the Jewish, Islamic, and pagan faiths, by particularly despotic and tyrannical rulers of the time. The Esra Elawi, on the other hand, tell a different story, one that's far older, and as you'll see, certainly more intriguing than the claims of today's historians. In the Torah, that is, the Old Testament, there were twelve tribes who were ascribed specific sections of the Promised Land. Israel, in ancient times, each of which was descended from the original biblical patriarch Jacob. Of these, the Beta Israel are descended, according to their oral tradition, from that of Dan, who were allotted land along Israel's central coast near the present site of Tel Aviv. 
There they thrived for many years as boatmakers and fishermen, ultimately becoming the second largest of the twelve tribes, after Judah, the biggest of the lot. By now you're probably wondering, well that's great and all, but how exactly did they get to Ethiopia? It's here that tradition and history collide. Sometime around 975 BC, the date of which is backed by both biblical sources and historical records, the kingdom of Israel split in two. Following the legendary King Solomon's death, the people rebelled against his son and successor, Rehoboam, due to the heavy taxation the latter imposed on his subjects. Thus the kingdom of Judah was established in the south of the country, with the equally legendary King David as its first ruler, while the kingdom of Israel, or Samaria, maintained control over the north. As the tribe of Dan was located right in the geographic center of this political crossfire, they opted not to take sides, and instead fled south into northeast Africa, with, according to Ethiopian tradition, Menelik I, another son of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, the latter of whom supposedly hailed from the region of Ethiopia, who would establish what's known as the Solomonic dynasty in Ethiopia and be crowned as its first emperor. It's important to note that everything I've just described is, more or less, pure speculation at this point. While the Beta Israel's tradition holds considerable weight, as it's been told virtually unchanged throughout the centuries, and is even backed in part by the historic and legendary annals of Ethiopia's culture, there's indeed merit held by contemporary scholars who posit the much later date of the 14th to 16th centuries for its formation. As the Jews who would one day come to be known collectively as the Beta Israel were greatly persecuted during this period due to their refusal to convert to Christianity, it would make sense for them to band together and maintain a hold on their traditions and customs. That's not to say that they weren't united or completely divided prior to this, but that they simply joined together in a way they hadn't before, so as to ensure the preservation of their religious legacy. However, it's important to note that genetic studies of the Esra'elawi have revealed that their ancestry indeed hails from both the Horn of Africa, aka the region that consists of Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, and Somalia, as well as the southern Arabian Peninsula, particularly present-day Yemen. So there is indeed a claim to their assertion of their oral traditions. Following the disintegration and absorption of the former Beta Israel autonomy in Gondar by the Ethiopian Empire in the early 17th century, the community faced persecution at the hands of various rulers for not following the official state religion of Christianity. Several forced conversions took place, and it wasn't long before the Esraelawi longed to return to the Promised Land from which their ancestors had originally hailed. The opportunity to actually do so, however, wouldn't arrive until the late 20th century, long after such ghastly practices had ended and the empire itself had crumbled. It was, in fact, under the fledgling communist state that ruled Ethiopia between 1974 and 1991, known as the Derg, that what became known as the Operation Moses became possible. With the help of the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, a northern Ethiopian faction backed by support from the Derg, and the Mossad, the Israeli intelligence agency, the Esra Elawi were taken across the border into Sudan, where they were airlifted to Tel Aviv in Israel. For the Beta Israel's safe passage, the Derg leader, General Mengistu Haile Meriam, was com compensated with money and, above all, weapons. Thus, in four big waves between 1979 and 1991, virtually all of the Esraelawi at the time were transported from Ethiopia to Israel, where they've since assimilated into Israeli society and have formed the largest community of Ethiopian Jews anywhere in the world. As of 2021, the population in Israel was numbered at around 160,500 inhabitants. That same year, some 12,000 still called Ethiopia home. The United States also has a community of Esraelawi, which numbers only about a thousand. Between these three countries, they speak primarily Amharic and Tigrinya, Semitic languages native to Ethiopia and Eritrea respectively, Hebrew and English. 
The story of the Beta Israel is one of tenacity and resilience. From their ancient origins in the Holy Land, to their centuries in Ethiopia, to their triumphant return to their ancestral roots, their experience is truly biblical in every literal and figurative sense of the word. They are, indeed, one of the more famous Jewish groups in the world, though they aren't simply an exotic curiosity. Theirs is a true success story. Having endured persecution, exile, and even the forced denouncement of their faith, they've held fast to their culture and beliefs, and ultimately emerged triumphant. It goes without saying that their legacy will endure for generations to come. Thanks for listening. As February is Black History Month here in the United States, I thought I'd kick off the festivities by taking a look at this most intriguing community of black Jews who have called Ethiopia home for countless generations. If you enjoyed this episode and found it enlightening, please consider becoming a supporter to ensure continued content. Just go to anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button, which will redirect you to three monthly support plans that fit your budget, which can be quite helpful in these difficult times. Listening and sharing also help me in big ways, so please do so wherever you get your podcasts. Join me again next week for another enthralling installment of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off for now. See you next time.